of Science in Boston, this is Pulsar, a podcast where experts answer questions from you, our audience. I'm your host, Susan Heilman, and today we're going to be talking about synthetic biology. Answering our questions is Dr. Natalie Kuldell, founder and executive director of BioBuilder and affiliated with MIT's Department of Biological Engineering. Natalie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. So I mentioned that you're part of the Department of Biological Engineering, and one of the things we wanted to talk about today is synthetic biology. So I'm wondering if you could talk about those two different phrases and how different are they, or what's your definition of one of those? It's it's a great question, and it's a question that comes up a lot. Um, people ask, you know, uh, I'm hearing about synthetic biology. Is it different than bioengineering or genetic engineering? Um, and and there's definitely a lot of overlap. Uh, but to me, this field of synthetic biology real really offers uh, a wonderful opportunity to bring engineering into the field of life science. Uh, engineers take a very disciplined approach to building new systems. If you think about building an airplane or building a new car, um, there's a, a, an approach that engineers take, which includes you know, coming up with ideas and prototyping and testing those prototypes and fixing things real quick. Um, scientists, on the other hand, often, I'm a scientist myself, so I, I'm not throwing any shade. I, I love learning things about the natural world and how they work. Um, so, you know, the, the what is out there is often the scientific question, but the engineers approach it with the, you know, how can I apply it to meet one of society's needs? And so synthetic biology really is this engineer's approach to life science to build systems that can serve society. Wow, that was a great answer. I loved that. No, I loved that. It was very, obviously, you've given that answer before, but uh, it makes things very, very clear. Um, so to just get some even further clarification on it, one of the questions that I've gotten from one of our listeners, Allison, wanted to know, I guess it's even further clarifying what you just said, is what's the difference then between using synthetic biology as a field, as you described it, to manipulate things like plants and animals and doing that in a lab versus things like breeding or like selective breeding by humans or cross-pollinating plants. So is there a difference between that? Sure. I mean, the answer is there is a difference, but it's a great question because what it really emphasizes is the continuum that we are on. I mean, there has been selective breeding going on for ages and ages, you can read about it in the Bible, right? You can yep. find references to it in a lot of ancient cultures. Um, so, you know, the way farmers have approached growing crops, uh, raising animals, has been to take the traits that they, the attributes and traits that they are trying to um, amplify and try to breed those into whatever they're growing or raising. Um, with synthetic biology, I think um, we can bring in more traits at once. Um, so build systems that are complex and draw from multiple sources to um, generate living systems that we would not find um, could naturally arise through, through natural selection. So, um, you know, one of the proteins we use a lot is green fluorescent protein and it comes yes. from a jellyfish. <laughs> I mean, now you can find green fluorescent protein in a lot of different places like plants, right? If, if they need, if scientists need uh, to trace something in a plant, they can put green fluorescent protein in there. 
that's not likely to have happened without <laughs> some intervention uh, in the lab. So right. um, it's a continuum, um, but I think uh, with synthetic biology and genetic engineering, we can do more, we can do faster, we can do a greater diversity of systems that we're building. Great. That makes a lot of sense because I've always kind of thought of, yeah, I guess what farmers are doing and, and, and domestication of plants as being kind of a form of maybe biological engineering, but not necessarily synthetic biology, something you would do in the lab. So that's a great point. Um, so kind of going off of this, but uh, another one of our listeners, Jennifer, was asking, how do you pick which organisms to study or to manipulate? I mean, a farmer's going to pick his crop and, you know, whatever he wants to grow more of. But how do, and let's make it personal, how do you personally pick an organism that you want to study or manipulate? It's, again, a, a wonderful question. It's a question, actually, that the entire field is really uh, thinking hard about. The, the scientists and engineers in the field of synthetic biology spend a lot of time and energy considering which organism they're going to run these novel genetic programs in. So uh, the term that uh, we use for thinking about which, which organism we choose is called the chassis. So just like you might have a car that's running an engine um, and call that car body the chassis, we think about the organism as the chassis that's running the genetic program that we're trying to, to build in these systems. And so how do we choose which chassis? Um, so just like you might think of a car and, and imagine, you know, some engines are going to fit better into some cars. you got a Tesla. You're not going to take your engine from your Ford truck and put it into right. your Tesla, right? So um, when we think about synthetic biology chassis, we think about which organisms can we study and manipulate safely and quickly? Which do we have the genetic tools to use? Mm -hmm. um, which organisms are going to be most similar uh, to the desired endpoint. So for example, if you're trying to uh, develop a, a a system that relies on photosynthesis to power it, you're probably going to want to choose a plant so that you don't have to re-engineer all of photosynthesis into your new system. Um, so all of those factors sort of piece together to, to make a selection on chassis. You asked me which is my personal yes. favorite chassis, and I would have to say that yeast, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, is my favorite chassis, um, not only because you can make beer and bread from it, but also because <laughs> it has so many genetic tools uh, that are associated with it, and it has had a lot of success in the field of synthetic biology. Um, one of my favorite uh, companies that's out there now uh, is able to spin spider silk from yeast and make it into clothing like ties and hats and things oh, like wow. that. Oh, so wow. That's, that's pretty nifty. And, uh, um, you know, there are great experiments and great uh, endeavors that um, are being used with yeast all the time. Um, and my students like working with yeast, too. It's very safe to work in the lab um, with, and, and we have some great experiments that can be run in yeast uh, pretty quickly and very, very safely. Oh, that's really cool. Not necessarily what I thought was going to be the most exciting of organisms to work with, but no, you're right. You can do some pretty amazing things with that. So that, that's a really good point. The, the chassis itself doesn't have to be as exciting as the, the end goals that you're getting out of it. So the students that you're referring to, I mean, you've got students at MIT, but you also work with a lot of students through BioBuilder. Can you tell us a little bit about how you work with them? 
Sure. So um, BioBuilder is my effort to take the um, teaching and learning that we've been doing in MIT to, to build novel systems uh, in living cells and bring that out to the public. So uh, have the, the content on the web, have you know, opportunities to engage with teachers and students and anybody who's interested uh, in learning synthetic biology or how to program with DNA and, and make it something available to everyone. And so um, the students and teachers that we have coming through BioBuilder are from almost every state. Uh, they're in uh, 30 countries around the world. Um, we uh, have the, the resources available. And so through our textbook and through our uh, hands-on kits, people are, are engineering systems uh, made from biology. And so um, the content I've co-developed with teachers, and so teachers find it very um, attractive to bring into their classrooms and teach some of the uh, frameworks and endpoints that they have to reach inside of their classrooms. Um, but we also offer out-of-school time programming, um, both for teachers and for students. So we, uh, have on, we have professional development programs for teachers. We have idea accelerators and after-school clubs for students who want to engineer biology. Um, and then up until, you know, very recently, we were doing many things in person, including a, a teaching space in, in Kendall Square in, in Cambridge. Um, but we have transitioned very quickly and to uh, offering a lot of things online to support the teachers and students who can still design living systems without actually needing to be in a laboratory to, to build them. You know, the design piece can be separated from the build. And we're doing a lot of um, work with teachers and students now to really accelerate their ideas and the uh, design of their systems so that when we can get back into the, the hands-on spaces, we can start to build things. That's cool. That's great. That sounds like a really nice use of um, being able to combine that that well, I was going to say virtual world, but world, but more of that non-in-person world, and then into when you can eventually get back to the lab and they can play around with yeast, which is hard to come by right now, I think. Anyway, so uh, do, oh, do you want to give the website for BioBuilder? Yeah. So the materials that we've been talking about are collected at um, my nonprofit's website, which is biobuilder.org. Um, and we have uh, portals for students to learn from, teachers to learn from. Um, people uh, who are just curious can navigate the website and find uh, animations and videos and protocols and um, a lot of content. And then, uh, as I say, we're running some online programming pretty regularly now, and uh, we would love to have the community grow. Great. Yeah. I went, just going on there, there's some really cool, some of the things that we've just touched on today about some really cool examples of what synthetic biology is and what some of that. And just even if you can't do the activities, just learning about the other cool, crazy things that are out there with synthetic biology is a lot of fun. So Natalie, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about what synthetic biology is, clarifying a few things and telling us how people can do more at home. Thank you, Susan. It's been a joy. So that's it for this episode of Pulsar. If you'd like to have one of your questions answered by a visiting expert and hear the answer here on Pulsar, you can email us at sciencequestions at mos.org. If you enjoyed this episode of Pulsar, please visit www.mos.org slash science matters to support our MOS at home. And join us again soon.